My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Natia Wisenfeld is a professor of management at New York University's Stern School of Business. She's an expert on managing organizational change, and she studies how technology changes the future of work and organizations. Batia earned her undergraduate degree in economics and sociology from Columbia College and her PhD in management and organizational behavior from Columbia University's Graduate School of Business. I hope you enjoy learning from Batia Wisenfeld today, because I always do. Batia, it's so great to catch up with you again today. It's been a few years since I visited you all out at NYU, so it's great to be able to connect again today. Thank you so much for making the connection, and I'm really looking forward to having a chance to chat. Well, as you think back on your research, are there one to two lessons you've learned that you'd most like to pass on to others? Yes, definitely. And uh, probably the first one that I've used all the time in my work life as well as my home life is to explain why, whether it's when you're making a request or describing your own decisions or your actions, explain to people, to whoever it is that you're talking to, why you're making the request, why you came to that decision, why you're taking the action that you're taking. And the reasons for that are because of the value that it creates for others and the value it creates for you. And so in terms of the value that it creates for others, when people are given an explanation of why, then they feel like you're being fair and they feel respected that you, it, it signals something, a, a sign of respect to them that you feel like you need to explain, you know, you want to give them a justification. So it's one of the ways of elevating others from a status perspective and giving them a sense of respect. It also educates and empowers them by providing the information that allows them to take more independent actions. So um, maybe they can come up with, if you explained why, you say you ask someone to do something, empty the dishwasher, you know, or uh, will you take on this project? And you explain, explain why why you chose them. So um, I want you to take on this project because you have these skills and you can develop these new skills by taking on this project. And then all of a sudden they understand, okay, this is what this is about. This is what I'm supposed to be getting out of this. Or maybe they come up with better means to the same end. So um, we are having guests over, so I want you to empty the dishwasher because we're having guests over. Well, the dishwasher is not something they're going to see, but here's this other thing that is really important that they would be, be able to see. Here's something that I can do more immediately, and, and so it lets them come up with better means to the same ends uh, that that might even satisfy your goals, your ultimate goals, even better than the ideas that you had. Um, it also creates value to others by providing a sense of meaning and shared reality that helps people see how their actions are tied to 
maybe larger and shared goals. Uh, and that is something that we see. It, it's especially important now, especially important in a remote work context, important when um, this kind of the current generation that's entering and really filling out the workforce is questioning meaning and purpose and wants to be doing work that that has that meaning and purpose front and center and it's not always easy to see what's the connection between the um work that they're doing and the larger goals and so providing that explanation of why keeping people focused on here are the larger goals this is what we are all about really helps people understand why what they're doing is important and it it kind of imbues what the, their work with that sense of importance and a connection to these larger goals and it also um people also find advice this is one of the things that i found in my research um when you're giving advice and you explain why not, you know here's what i think you should do and here's why i think you should do it um, then inherently that advice is more abstract and it is that therefore more generalizable. It's not, it's something that they could apply in that context and in other contexts and they find it more helpful in the research that I've done. They find it more helpful than more concrete advice and they're more likely to take it. So, um, so that actually kind of raises the value to you of explaining why. So when you explain why, then it forces you to focus your attention on the big picture and what your overarching goals are. It forces you to prioritize and align your efforts with the things that really matter to you, or at least be aware, sometimes explaining why, you realize, okay, I'm going to do this because it's urgent or because there's no way out of it, but there's a trade-off here. And if I explain why, then I know what the trade-off is. And if you're aware of those trade-offs, then going into the future, you can come up with ways of, you know, maybe make rebalancing. So, you know, resolving the trade-off in ways that benefit, um, whatever you whatever goals you sort of forsake forsook in the prior um version and uh like especially for example whether it's urgent versus what's more important you can make make clearer sense of what are the trade-offs between those you also will be viewed as more strategic and more respected and more fair and people are less likely to resist a decision or action or request when they understand the why of it, um, which is kind of, you know, some of Ellen Langer's, some of my favorite work is, um, is you know, even giving people, I'm, I'm here in New York City, and kind of the my, one of my favorite studies is, um, you know, there were some, doc they, she sent some doctoral students to go on the New York City subway and ask people uh, to get up from their seat, people who were sitting down. She would have people come up to them and say, um, would you get up? Uh, and, um, and found that in general, when people on the New York City subway, you know, your image in the New York City subway, when you, when you get asked, will you get up? People are like, 
WTF, you know, so <laughs> definitely not. Um, but if you say, well, you get up so I can sit down, which is the assumption that's, Already you know, implied. there's no more information there. Um, but when you say it that way, then all of a sudden, a majority of people were willing to get up. And and then the question is, you know, why were they more willing to get up? And they they filled in the blanks. So when you give people a reason why, then they kind of fill in the blanks and, and, you know, think, oh, well, this person must really need a seat. They must not be feeling well, or maybe they're, um, there's something, there's something going on that there is a true need and they feel better about doing it, you know, when, when they do do it. So it's just got all of these benefits. There is a downside though, that I found with this lesson, um, that is coming up as I my most recent research, a lot of it is on artificial intelligence and these AI systems that are being used as decision support and stuff like that. And um, the problem with all AI systems, as we're learning with ChatGPT, is that all of them make errors. And um, and so there is no perfect AI system. And one of the problems then is that people can over rely on AI systems. So basically follow AI advice, even when it is wrong, even when they would have otherwise not made that mistake. You know, they if, if they didn't have the AI, they never would have done what, you know, never would have made that decision. But because of the AI, they make that decision. And they're much more likely to over rely on AI when it is explainable. So when we, we keep asking for AI that offers an explanation of how it came to its decision. But the problem is that when you, there is a downside to explainable AI, people feel like they understand it better. And when they understand it better, they'll follow it even when it goes against their best judgment. Um, so maybe that's my first lesson. It's just amazing that we don't explain our reasoning more often because as you're describing all of these benefits, it's just like so clearly important but it's amazing that we don't do it. And I, and I love this lesson because it, it's perfect for this podcast. Simple, practical, underappreciated. In my leadership class, we do this exercise where uh, basically divide the class in two. And one is managers and, and one is employees. And, and the managers are trying to get the employees to do something. And without fail, the the managers will come in. And at some point, the managers will say, you know, please do this thing. And the employees will say, Why? And the managers will say, because I'm the boss. And it when you're as an outside observer watching it, it is the most unsatisfying, obviously flawed approach to getting anybody to do anything. But yet we're still just prone to do that. And, and so I love all of these benefits that you're talking about. You know, it elevates the status of the person by taking a few minutes to explain to them, or maybe not even a few minutes, maybe it's just a few seconds. Educates them, empowers them helps them see the big picture. Just so many amazing benefits. One of the things that I think your example il um, illustrates is this, this fallacy that we have about explaining why. People feel like if they are, if they have to explain, then um, then maybe someone isn't trusting their judgment or it somehow diminishes how much power they have. So I'm the boss. You do it because I'm the boss, not because 
you know, there is another reason, a legitimate reason that you should buy into. Uh, and so people feel like they will lose some status or power or respect by explaining. And for sure, when you offer an explanation, people do feel invited into the conversation. So they're more likely to to sort of question that explanation or question what are the better, you know, maybe there is a better way to achieve the goal that you set out, or maybe there is a better goal to have. And for sure, you're opening that up. But I think for all the reasons that I mentioned before, so the fallacy is that people think they're going to lose something with that explanation. But in fact, what they think they're going to lose is exactly what they gain. Mm -hmm. People, they gain others' respect. They gain valuable input. Someone who's bought in, you know, who wants to kind of work with them and be cooperative with them, but maybe can offer up you know, their own wisdom and advice. And it gives you an opportunity to, to sort of appreciate that and learn from that. So I, I do think that it is, you know, you raise a really good question, like, why is it that people don't do this? And I think that we, we need to understand that more. And I think part of it might be this fallacy. What a really cool insight that I've never been able to put into words or never thought of so clearly that if I have to explain myself, then it feels like an attack on me or it can lower my status. But the paradox, of course, is that when we do explain ourselves, we're going to, in most likelihood, get the results that we're seeking anyway. And I'm going to really try to remember this when I manage people and especially with my kids, because it can just be, you know, so easy. Like, hey, kids do this, do that. Why? Because I'm your dad. And that's just not satisfying. And we're, we're not going to get the results that we can get. And, and why not empower and educate and raise people's status if you have the opportunity to do so. So what a what a cool lesson. Well, any other lessons you'd like to share before we wrap up? Uh, so maybe one more would be that um, when you follow a fair process, then it will lead to fair outcomes in the long run. So if you're in a relationship, if you're playing the long game, then Basically, you can focus on the process, make sure you get the process right, and stop trying to control the outcome. And I found this very freeing as a manager, as a leader, uh, because, because basically it does allow me to, to sort of pull away from a focus on the outcomes that I want. Uh, there's a downside to focusing on outcomes, people will tend to be suspicious of you. They'll think that the outcome that you are advocating is uh, something that will benefit you personally. So they think self-interest is the reason that you're focused on that particular outcome. And then they tend to resist or become less cooperative when you're focused on outcomes. So you'll end up with a lot more conflict than you really want by focusing on outcomes. And outcomes are also inherently limited. So you're more likely to have blind spots and make forecasting errors, which is when you think that you want A, but you really want B, or you'll discover later on that what would have made you happier is B. And, and so people kind of you know make those errors all the time when it comes to outcomes. 
of what they think will be desirable or undesirable and, you know, by how much, you know, how, like, whether outcome A is much better or, or only a little bit better, or maybe not even better at all than outcome B. Uh, so all of these problems come with um, a focus on outcomes. Fair processes are much, people are much more likely to agree on what is a fair process. And they have these lasting benefits where if the process is fair, then everyone thinks that, all right, maybe I'm not going to get what I want now. But if I'm patient, if as long as the process is fair, I can come around and, you know, it'll come around to me. They also know what they have to do to get the outcomes that they deserve, because um, when the process is fair, then it means that the outcomes that you get will be the ones that you deserve. And so people are going to put in the effort uh, to get the good, a better outcome if they feel like the process is fair. I mean, this comes up for me, whether it's things like grading, um, you know, how how I set up and, and grade students, whether it's um, how I handle uh, decision-making meetings when I'm leading those meetings, how I manage even with my children. So things like, you know, each kid needs different things. And, um, and if I focus on a fair process and not necessarily fair outcomes, then I can help them to get what they need when they need it and not have a lot of resources wasted or a, a sense that each kid, no matter what, feels like you're treating others better than them. So, um, so I'd say this fair processes lead to fair outcomes. So let go of the outcome uh, is definitely one of the rules I've lived by. This is so interesting to me because I have been thinking about this and hearing this idea a lot in sports, you know, worry about the things you can control and what can you control in sports? You know, you control your effort and your preparation, but you can't control the outcome. I love this framing of thinking of it in terms of fairness. And I, one of the quotes that I really like is uh, it says something to the effect of, you know, like all self-help can be boiled down to the idea of think long-term. <clears throat> and I really like that, you know, when we're prioritizing the long term, we're probably um, making a better decision for ourselves. And so by combining the two, by focusing on fair process in the long run, the outcomes are going to take care of themselves. And that's just one less thing that we have to worry about. We can control the process. We have much more control over the process than the outcome. So focus on that. Let the outcome take care of itself. And then the outcome will also be better anyway in the long run. Because as you're saying, people are more likely to agree about the fairness of a process than an outcome. So what an interesting idea. Yeah, I think in sports, it's probably more about effort and effort leading to performance. It's probably more at the individual level. I think that the process outcome relationship is especially useful in social situations where um, where the, you know, you're going to make a decision or, or um take an action and you um, focus on doing that in the fairest way possible because it kind of brings others in. So I, I think that that's a great connection to sports and, and the idea of learning. And I think that there may be two sides of the same coin, the individual level dynamic and the more social dynamic. 
Well, I am so grateful that we could have this conversation today. I love these lessons. These are things that uh, one of the reasons I, I love them especially is because I can apply these in my classroom. I can apply them in my work. I can apply them with my friends and I can apply them here at home. And so I'm just grateful that you would share a few minutes with me sharing these lessons. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. I love the lessons Batia shared today. First, whenever we make a request of someone, explain why we're making the request. It signals respect. It helps them feel like we're being fair. It empowers them to make an even better decision potentially. It gives them meaning. And above all, it makes them more likely to carry out our request. We might feel like it diminishes our status or power if we have to explain the why. But the opposite is true. And I love the study Batia shared about subway riders in New York City. Ask them to get up, and they won't. Ask them to get up because we want to sit down, and many more will. Second, rather than focus on fair outcomes, focus on fair process. If we use a fair process, people will tend to accept our decisions, even if it cuts against their favor. And fortunately, following a fair process will most likely lead to a fair outcome. In summary, explain why and focus on fair process over fair outcomes. Both simple ideas. Please take them seriously. Nate Mickle here with three quick requests. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. And finally, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Thanks for your support.